Hi, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio and in partnership with The Next Normal with the Meditation Museums of the Brahma Kumais. I'm your host, Sister Jenna, and I'm so delighted to join you today because, you know, during this pandemic and this COVID situation that we happen to be in, there's been so many gifts, benefits, perks as a result but this is not to put aside the fact that there's been a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, and a lot of anxiety. And maybe now more than ever, you've spent enough time at home, you've spent enough time with people you might like and don't really like that much, and you might be asking yourselves some deep questions, and you're looking for some serious answers. Why? Because something in the soul must be calling you to feel more and to be more for yourself. And yes, you might find it in your scripture and you might find it in your pastor, your rabbi, your pundit, or your iman. Or you might find it in some inspirational speaker. But I'll guarantee this, you really find it within yourself. The more you turn inwards, you'll be able to find who you are and what you're called to do. It is like the distractions, you know, that take us away from ourselves. And we have so many scholars and books and teachers that have helped us so far. But I feel like this pandemic has actually given us the gift of a return to the self. Today we have an extremely special guest, somebody who I've crossed the path with over the years. He doesn't know me, but I know him. (laughs) What has happened is that we've been on various platforms together, actually, and I've seen him, and I said, I've got to reach out to Dr. Ibn Alexander, because the experience that he has gone through really resonates with my journey, but also with my heart. And I got an email from someone in the UK that passed it to somebody in Oregon, who passed it on to me to ask, have you interviewed Dr. Alexander on America Meditating Radio as yet? And I said, you know, I have asked, and I'm glad that you've reminded me. I'm actually going to reach out to him again and, and see if we can get him on the air. And so as a result of COVID or this pandemic, we have a lot more access to each other because we're not having to travel here or there. And now we click on a little button And ta-da, here we are, here we are. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Eben Alexander to our show today, but also it's an additional bonus because I also have the pleasure of welcoming his partner in service and in love. Right, Karen? So we're going to be talking a lot about both of you, and i got to get my stuff and my paperwork together so I can do the needful and make sure everything is right. And you know, with old age, you need glasses (laughs) so that you can get everything right. But it gives me um, really great pleasure to welcome Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell to America Meditating Radio and, of course, as we partner with The Next Normal. Welcome to both of you. Well, Sister Jenna, thank you so much for having us on. Yes, it's so wonderful to be in conversation with you. Oh, yes, yes. So let me sort of give um, a little bit of an introduction of both of you and that we can go into our wonderful chit-chat together. Is that okay? Yes. All right. 
So after decades as a physician and teacher at Harvard Medical School and elsewhere, renowned academic neurosurgeon Dr. Ibn Alexander thought that he knew the brain, the mind, the consciousness, and how it all worked. Didn't we all, even? A transcendental near-death experience during a week-long coma from an inexplicable brain infection changed all of that. Since 2008, NDE Dr. Alexander has been reconciling his rich spiritual experience with contemporary physics and cosmology, a pioneering scientist and thought leader in consciousness. Dr. Alexander has been guest on Dr. Oz, Super Soul Sundays, where I actually saw you first, Eben, and that's been great, and with many other media platforms. He's the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, The Map of Heaven and Living in a Mindful Universe, A Newer Surgeon's Journey into the Heart of Consciousness, which was co-authored with Karen Newell. Now, our second guest, Karen Newell, has spent a lifetime seeking wisdom through esoteric teachings and first-hand experience, exploring realms of consciousness. Now, as an innovator in the emerging field of brainwave entrainment, sorry, audio meditation, she empowers others by demonstrating how to connect to inner guidance, achieve inspiration, improve wellness, and develop intuition. She's the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics and co-author with Dr. Eben Alexander of Living in a Mindful Universe. So thank you both for joining us today on America Meditating Radio and definitely the next normal. I am so touched to have both of you with me today. I can't begin to tell you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us both. We, we, uh, everything we do, I feel, is greatly strengthened through our collaboration. So it's very wise of you to invite my best half too. <laughs> thank you. Or, or if I didn't, she would beat you up. No, no, it would just be a big mistake. No, I, mean, I would be relieved because it's not, my, it's not my comfort zone to speak publicly, but oh, it drags me along. But I know so. from feedback from the tens of thousands that we've spoken to and have, have workshops with, Karen brings an incredibly powerful message, and she's helped me uh, a lot with my spiritual growth since in the 12 years since my coma. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Karen, for making him more spiritual. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, let's get right to it. Um, doc, Dr. Eben Alexander, do you mind if I just call you Eben? Uh, Eben's fine, yeah. Eben, okay. Um, tell me, where were you in life, if you can recall consciously, before your NDE? Well, I had spent the first 54 years of my life honing a very kind of scientific worldview. Uh, you know, those 15 years teaching at Harvard Medical School, I thought we were closing in on some understanding of brain, mind, and consciousness. So that's why I think my journey was so extraordinary. Uh, so I basically worship materialist science, and I do not use that term lightly, because in our modern society, there is this worship of a form of science that actually was disproven uh, decades ago. Uh, and that is the physicalist position that only the physical world exists. And but I had harbored those beliefs, and that's why uh, this was a profound awakening for me. In terms of my prior religious beliefs, I had grown up uh, with a father who was very influential in my life. He was scientific. He was the head of a neurosurgical training program. 
but he also had a profound belief in a loving personal God and the power of prayer. And he put that to use every day in his professional work and as uh, you know, a loving father. Uh, but for me, growing up in the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, and admitting that I was uh, basically a scientist at heart and always have been, will be, um, this journey was extraordinary because it showed me very clearly uh, that the brain is not the producer of consciousness at all. And that, in fact, our consciousness is something that is all interconnected. And the more we come to acknowledge that binding force of love, the more we can actually harvest it. But that was all lessons that came to me after my NDE. After. Before the NDE, uh, I, I thought that, you know, when I would hear these stories from my own patients, I thought they were hallucinations of a dying brain. Uh, but that's only because I had not studied consciousness in the proper depth. Uh, and really, all of reality is about understanding the brain-mind connection and nature of consciousness. And one of the most beautiful aspects of the awakening that I see coming to the scientific world and the mainstream world at large uh, is one of the deep truths of unification of oneness of the healing force of love. I mean, these incredible lessons that have come from near-death experiences for thousands of years across all cultures and belief systems all unify us towards this notion of oneness and how love has tremendous power to heal. Um, you said something about the study of consciousness. Even when I do talks or conversations, consciousness has never been quite easy to define. I did a wonderful television um, segment and series called Soul Talk on the Hill. And one of the things that I, one of the questions that I asked the members of Congress is, what was consciousness? And I was very floored by some of their answers. The best answer came from Congressman Tim Ryan of Ohio. So I'd be curious for you to share with us, as you're studying consciousness, like how does one study consciousness and what is consciousness? I would say consciousness is just our fundamental awareness of existence. And it's that kind of self-awareness and especially the ability to examine that self-awareness or meta-consciousness, as some people call it, uh, that helps us start getting to what this is all about. But it's it's nothing more complex than the notion that we're aware of existing. Uh, for example, in discussion, in philosophical discussions of the mind-brain relationship, you often encounter this concept of what's called the philosophical zombie. The philosophical zombie is is some somebody that would look and act and quack just like a human being, do all the right things to look like a human being, and yet it has no inner awareness of existence. In other words, that would be kind of the model of the mm. physicalist scientist that says, well, we're, we're all these electrons, protons, atoms, uh, molecules, you know, the cells in the body, and that's it. And they pretend that the chemical reactions and electron fluxes in the brain are sufficient to explain conscious awareness. But uh, to really get at the depth of this uh, question, you really have to challenge every bit of that. And that's where uh, I think uh, just calling consciousness the awareness of existence. And what we end up finding is that that is a fundamental property of the universe. That's what quantum physics, that's what modern neuroscience facing the hard problem of consciousness, philosophy of mind and what's called the binding problem, the apparent unity of consciousness within an individual. All of these things point to the primacy of consciousness. And that's really what uh, Karen and I argued in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe 
is that consciousness is fundamental in the universe. And that's a position that many scientists around the world are converging on. And it has tremendous implications when you look at the brain, not as the producer of consciousness, but simply as a transceiver or filter that allows consciousness to express uh, in the material world and four-dimensional space-time. Uh, but the key is realizing that that's not all there is. There's more to the universe than uh, just the physical world. And in fact, there's a mental layer that really runs it all. And that's what we have access to. And that's why that materialist science would try and tell you none of us have free will because it's an epiphenomenon of those chemical reactions, electron fluxes. But this newest model, which is much better at dealing with all the empirical evidence of psychology and parapsychology, allows us to expand our vision of who we are uh, and, and also our powers in the universe. And it's one that puts consciousness as primary and fundamental. Uh, it's a revolution that's been building for decades in the scientific community, but in many ways has been known to various aspects of the spiritual community, both East and West, going back for thousands of years. So we're really kind of converging on the same wisdom they arrived at long ago about oneness and the healing force of love. So glad that you've said that because even as you were sharing, my intellect was percolating how in my spiritual community of the Brahma Kumayas, what you've just said is you're, we're transitioning from a body-conscious state of mind, the cells, the, the physical, the form, to a soul awareness, a soul consciousness. And when you are awakened to that soul conscious and the, that soul awareness, you come from a different paradigm of attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, And sometimes we've never been able to really articulate that very clearly because it is so subtle. It is so subtle that it really is like a saying that only the bag knows how sweet the molasses is. Like until you have felt your own energy as a soul and the purity and the peace of the soul, do you even understand what the, the depth or the vastness of consciousness can be for you? Thank you so much for sharing that. Karen, what a fascinating journey you are on. Yeah, I mean, okay. coming, you know, I mean, dealing with the fact that, you know, what Iban talks about in terms of the physical or the scientific, here you are with the esoteric and, and, and the real thing, the, the real light. Tell me a little bit about how you, you actually got into your awakening. There's some of us who were born with that. I'm not one of them. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's possible I was born with it because as I was going through life as a young child, for example, my grandmother sat me down when I was seven and taught me the uh, core of the Christian teachings that if you accept Jesus into your heart, that you will be able to go to heaven. And if you don't, you'll go to hell for all of eternity. And this didn't make sense to me as a young child. I didn't understand all the other you know, aspects of Christianity, but I said, that doesn't make any sense because there's going to be other children around the world who haven't heard about this and they're going to hell for all of eternity. I rejected that piece of information just out of hand. And so as I went through life being raised in this tradition, I questioned everything. I was always wanting to know with certainty that something was true, not just believe it because someone told me. And as I went through life and started exploring other types of spiritual texts, 
I came to understand that that's actually possible, that in order to really understand our world consciousness, who we truly are, we need to experience it firsthand. We don't just need to read about it and hear people talk about it. We need to experience it. You, you just said that yourself, that it's the experience of it that changed Eben into this new you know, way of thinking. And so I wasn't necessarily someone who knew how to generate those types of experiences. Some people are born with an ability to see auras or communicate with departed souls. I didn't have that. I was very much a Western analytical type of, of person. And so when I learned that I, experience was important, I set out to try to generate it and it was very challenging. And meditation was one of those uh, really foundations to <clears throat> exploring anything else. I mean, I studied remote viewing, lucid dreaming, self-hypnosis, but all of those things require the ability to calm the mind, to be in the present moment, and to hold a certain intention. And so when I first started to try to learn this, it was so, so challenging uh, to quiet that mind. And that's when the sound came in. I was able to use uh, particular types of sound. It was kind of like tuning forks, brass bowls, crystal bowls, not music with a melody, but especially these brainwave entrainment recordings, which interestingly enough, sound very similar to the crystal bowl, brass bowl, tuning fork type of sound. Anything that makes kind of a wah, 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 regular kind of rhythmic sound is actually delivering a binaural beat. And that's why so many people, when they hear these types of sounds, they're able to get into that relaxed state more easily. So for me, they served as training wheels to uh, teach me how to get into that calmer state of mind. And, and now I, um, you know, find it much more easy to get in touch with that inner being, that inner being that all of us are made of. And each of us, you know, hearing me talk about it isn't enough. Each of us, and hopefully since your program is uh, America Meditates, most of your listeners, I hope, are involved in this practice. And that is, is absolutely critical to really understanding this idea that consciousness is fundamental because we're all contributing to that consciousness. And so that brings for me a certain responsibility because I am part of a whole. I want to contribute consciousness that is pure, that is beneficial, and that is not causing anyone else any trouble. And so uh, that's how I came into all of this. I have to confess, I have a very dear friend of ours Dr. Ivy Hilton, and she does a sound healing process called the Sound Spa. And as much as I love and I respect her, I'll tell her, Ivy, I don't know what you're doing with all them sounds, girl. <laughs> like, I'll just tell her that I'm just, look, I just got to think my way to my sense of perfection. But I've actually, I respect and I value what she's done because she's no nonsense. She has done complete research on sound healing. And I'm I'm at the point now that I'm actually quite curious to understand what it can do. Because if I can listen to a song that moves my spirit so much to an altered state, why can't I listen to pure sounds that can actually move me into an altered state to help to remind me 
of maybe a part of me that I've forgotten, you know. So tell me, do you have a, like an example or a sample that we could try to explore while I have you on air? I do. I have something I can share with you right now, and uh, I will play it for you. Tiny taste. Hopefully, you can hear that kind of deep, like round, that rhythmic sound. So many people find those types of sounds maybe if they're on a train or or something like that, kind of lulls them into a relaxed state. And so this is just a way of doing it with a little more precision using uh, digital frequencies and other types of sounds. So uh, did you find that relaxing? I'm having a moment. I actually have um, a video that has this calling, this this coming home to the energy of God's light. So when I saw what you put together, and it's just a minute, it just reminded me of that return journey home to silence, to love, to purity, to peace. That actually took me to my original place that I... I'm supposed to always live from. Wonderful. Beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you, Karen. You're Thank welcome. you. Eben, let me see if I can continue the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Uh, I know. It gets you into an alter. Now, just so everyone understands, these are best experienced using headphones. So even the fact you have that minor re- that reaction without headphones is, is wonderful. Well, because, you know, we're on the journey, and I was taking my consciousness to, we call God Baba. So I was taking my consciousness to look at this, Baba. I just love your children. Everybody knows you, and they're all trying to get folks to remember you. I mean, that was what I was feeling as I was just sitting watching Mm -hmm. and being with you. Um, Evan, tell me a little bit about that time that you're lying there on the bed, and I don't know if you were in surgery at the time, but what was the NDE like? Can you kind of share what you went through what you saw, maybe what you felt? Yes. Well, it's important to point out that one of the atypical features of my near-death experience was that I had no memories of Evan Alexander's life. I had no words, no language, no knowledge of Earth or this universe. Uh, You know, initially in my weeks of recovery, the early weeks of recovery, I, I thought, well, that makes sense because my entire neocortex was so damaged. And uh, my doctors had all the documentation of that. 
Um, and so basically, according to the, the tenets of modern neuroscience, none of what I'm about to describe should have been able to happen because the parts of my brain that might have supported a dream or hallucination or confabulation were too wrecked to do, do so. And yet I experienced a reality far richer and more real, vibrant, alive, and memorable than anything I've ever experienced before, all when my brain was demonstrably shut down. Now, it started in what I call the earthworm's eye view, very primitive course, kind of unresponsive world. And uh, people often would hear me talk about that early on and say, was that purgatory or hell? And I would think hell would be at least a little bit interactive. That realm for me uh, was not interactive at all. Even though I had no words or language or knowledge of earth or this universe, um, I could still be curious, you know, what, where, how? Uh, and never was there a flicker of a response. But luckily I was rescued from that. There came a slowly spinning pure white light surrounded by fine silvery uh, tendrils, silvery and golden tendrils. Uh, and as it came towards me, I realized it came packaged with a perfect musical melody. Uh, that's an important theme in my journey because I came to realize that it's by the memory of such kind of music, even though in those realms, of course, we're no longer hearing with the ears or seeing with the eyes. Our modes of knowing are far grander. We have what I call knowledge through identification, where we become huge swathes of the scene around us, including other beings, like in the life review, uh, where we witness uh, many of the actions of our life, but from the emotional perspective of others around us who were impacted by our choices. That's why the life review is a beautiful example of the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated, written into the very fabric of the universe. So at, at any rate, this uh, spinning white light ushered me up into an ultra real gateway valley. It had many earth-like features, but I, I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. There were millions of other butterflies, colors beyond the rainbow and really beyond description because our modes of knowing, again, are very, very different and unrestricted compared to modes of knowing here. Uh, there was a beautiful guardian angel uh, with me on that butterfly wing. Those who read my first book, Proof of Heaven, will remember how important she was in uh, demonstrating the reality of my journey four months after I came back to this world. Uh, that's a crucial part of the story. It has to do with my kind of sense of being lovable or not before. Uh, that has to do with the adoption story that I was uh, put up for adoption at age 11 days. Anyway, uh, in this beautiful ultra real gateway valley, there were thousands of souls below us dancing in this meadow, uh, lots of joy and festivity all being fueled because up above were swooping angelic choirs emanating chants, anthems, hymns, that would just thunder through me. Uh, and then those angelic choirs and their music provided yet another portal to higher and higher levels. I remember seeing all four-dimensional space-time collapsing down, all those lower spiritual realms that I had been in, uh, also associated with a different uh, causality, a different ordering of time that I call deep time that allows for the evolution of souls, the evolution of all of consciousness to be occurring, but it's not from the perspective of Earth time. And, and the angelic choirs provided a portal to higher and higher levels to, to the core. The core was my ultimate destination, uh, infinite inky blackness, but filled to overflowing with the uh, infinitely healing, love, loving power of that divine God force that so many have encountered on NDEs for thousands of years to give them the great comfort to know that we are much more than just our physical body. Uh, there's much more to that story. 
Oh well, that, that, yes, it's important to point out that when I came back to this world in referring to that kind of indescribable, ineffable, uh, but deeply personal uh, God force, the, the union of mind that is there for all of us, uh, I called that being Aum because that was the sound I heard. Uh, and if people ask me what's the origin of that, I would uh, put out there, it was the, the, the resonance you would expect in a cavity of infinite dimensions throughout all of eternity. That was basically the alm sound that I heard and brought back to this world. And when I came back, I knew that that divine force at the core of all reality went far beyond whether you want to call it God or Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, Jehovah, Yahweh, Great Spirit, a higher power, whatever you want to call it. It's a very real and absolute uh, force. It's, it's so deeply personal. It's at the very core of our conscious awareness. So it's never distant from any of us. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is something that binds us all together through this infinite healing power of love. Uh, and that's really the, the lesson. It's a fundamental lesson that's been brought back by indie ears across all religious beliefs. Uh, atheists have had very profound similar experience. Uh, it's really just uh, the empirical data of the reality of God and that force of love right at the core of the universe available. I'm so to with you on that. I'm so with you on that. You know, I've interviewed dozens of experts with NDE, and every single one has come back with the fact that whenever you have that experience, it takes you back to the remembrance of love. And, you know, when the pandemic first started and we began an online program called Spiritual Vaccine, the opening, the opening music or sound was of OM, Karen. And one person had emailed me with such a funny email. And she said, oh, I love your show, but that sound is so creepy. And I just thought, well, I guess you're just not ready to let go and see the place. You know, it's, but, funny, but, it's funny. A lot of people will say that the, the sounds we create sound creepy. And I just tell them that uh, it's because of their social conditioning or yes. something like that. And they're used to hearing melodic music. But I love to point out that OM, that O-M, is right in that word home, which you just said you felt when you went there. And so many people feel like they're going home when they go to those realms. And that this, yes. is, this is the, you know vacation. So. This is our career. This is where our souls grow is through the work we do, you know, in these bodies, having forgotten what our higher soul knows all along about that connectedness. And that, of course, is why meditation is so important. If you yeah. listen to the ego voice all the time, the ego is very important, uh, but it is not uh, the leader to take us to these deeper truths. We need to connect right. with that higher aspect of self. And meditation is a beautiful way for people to do that. And to put that little voice in the head that many people identify with, put that in time out. It's little more than an annoying roommate. And we all have far greater <laughs> It hasn't paid rent, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't paid rent for a while. There's an acronym that I've used over the years. And some of my friends will say, don't you have any new materials? And I'll say, truth doesn't need to be altered. Exactly. No, that is absolutely and, and the acronym is ALGI, A for anger, L for lust, G for greed, A for attachment, E for ego. And I believe that's where the distraction is, that's where the body consciousness is, that's where we separate ourselves, that's where we begin to fight and think that our religion is better than your religion, 
that's where you think the the Christians over the Jews, the Jews over this. That's that's where all the distraction is. It's that what you were saying, Ibn, was that humanness that has really pulled us away from the real spiritual nature of who we are. And so when we can actually return to the remembrance of the divine, the Om, what we would call your Om or God, what we would call God, I would call it just Baba. Mm -hmm. You know, I return to Baba and I can feel the energy of the love that really is in the consciousness already, but it just isn't activated because that's just not where our focus has been. You know, so it's been quite an interesting journey. I think for folks of like us who've been seeing a lot of the negativities that are going on in the world and questioning, you know, at what point will everyone wake up to the OM? <laughs> you know, and at what point will everyone wake up to recognizing that love is the only way? Do we all have to have a near-death experience to realize that we're all love? Absolutely not. And and when Evan and I met, that was one of the things we discussed. And he was talking about this amazing love, like you mentioned, all near-death experiencers talk about it. And I heard, I knew others who'd had these experiences, but I said, well, they, they often say, well, you can't bring that type of love back here. And I have, I argue with that concept that you can't bring it back here. And it may be true that you can't bring the full full, full power of it, that you just described uh, something that I've also experienced. There absolutely is within every one of us a way to tap into that love because we're made from that love. That consciousness is us deep within. And so the, there was another practice that I learned, a form of Sufi heart rhythm meditation, and that involved paying attention to the breath in relation to the heartbeat. And as you start to focus more attention in the area of the heart, that's when you start to kind of trigger those unresolved emotions. And, and then after all that is kind of uncovered, you discover that amazing love underneath. And so I had experienced this many times by the time I had met Eben. And that I think was part of the way we resonated mm -hmm. with each other is we felt that energy uh, that probably came before any kind of intellectual understanding of who we really were. It was a feeling of resonance that we felt. And if I hadn't prepared my heart in that fashion, I'm not sure I would have felt it the same way. So it does take some effort and some commitment and uh, to really open up the, these pieces. But we, yeah. you know, you said that uh, when is when are we going to awaken to the Om? We often say that it's hardships very often that bring people to those kinds of uh, realizations, whether it's loss of a loved one, a terminal diagnosis, the loss of a relationship. Those hardships are where we grow. And many, many times people find that, uh, that, that sense of compassion at the core of the universe that's available to them. And so this COVID pandemic, we call this a collective gift of desperation where these hardships hopefully will bring us collectively into that knowing as we move through it. That's so true, Karen. I was thinking of that too as you were speaking, how uh, in the United States of America alone, there has been, I think, over 200,000 souls that have transitioned, that have departed. 
and loved ones aren't able really to see them off. You know, what would you tell them? What what would you tell souls today in terms of helping to comfort them at a time of need? You know, it seems as if there's like, well, it's just a part of life. We have to go anywhere. I've actually heard people say that. And I go, yes, it's true, it's true. And yes, we're learning how to be more detached and more loving, to be more detached because we are becoming more loving. You get that? Yes. Yes. Really, really huge. And so all of this is actually teaching us more to return to that love. And what fascinates me um, um, about this time is the fact that it's a global epidemic. Mm -hmm. It's a global awakening that's taking place, which is why a conversation like ours is so important for individuals to sit and say, wow, I need to really rethink the course of the direction of my life. So back to my question is like, what would you really share with folks now who are seeing a tremendous, tremendous shift in the way they deal with themselves, in the way they look at their relationships? Because you and I know that it's just in that hello, that soul-to-soul connection, that the spark can happen or the spark happens or or the depth of the um, awakening happens. If I am so conscious and you are so conscious and maybe we're both carrying the energy of God's love, can you imagine the magnificence that takes place just in your hello? Yes. Right? Absolutely. So, And that's what I want to see. I want to see folks saying hello from that deeper place that all those limits and separation and anger and jealousy and and hate just has no room. Right. Has no I, room. I think it's, I was just going to say, and answer your question, I don't think anyone ever truly dies alone because as soon as we, uh, you know, put one foot into the spiritual world, we start becoming surrounded by departed loved ones and helping angels and guides. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of help that comes from the other side. Uh, there's a phenomenon in uh, neuroscience that really garners a tremendous attention in this conversation it's called terminal lucidity uh, and that is that often when as people approach death with advancing dementia say with alzheimer's or whatever the cause is uh, that um, in many cases right before death within hours or days they wake up they come back into knowing this a beautiful uh, repertoire of memories communication with uh, loved ones who might be in the hospital room with them or at, at, at the deathbed with them um, and a true sign of authenticity of that kind of terminal lucidity is if they also see souls of departed loved ones in the same vision. That is the person who is in the process of transitioning. Um, when they have this, these big moments of lucidity and communication with loved ones, they also see uh, their departed loved ones. In fact, I give an example of that in the book, Proof of Heaven. Uh, and the example is of terminal lucidity, but it happened to a good friend of mine who happened to be the head of one of the top neurosurgical programs on earth, one of the most globally respected neuroscientists there is. And yet when he was with his own father, uh, who was making the transition, he witnessed every bit of this, of his father coming back to life as he witnessed his own mother, who had died 64 uh, years earlier, her soul appearing there at the foot of the bed. Uh, And my friend couldn't see her, but he was absolutely convinced of her presence based on the father's reaction. To me, uh, those kind of, uh, you know, the departed loved ones appearing in the vision 
uh, is what makes it so authentic. And the fact that this often happens in the setting of terminal lucidity uh, is a beautiful example of how if we just wake up to the uh, you know, it, human experience that we can witness in our lives, they give us tremendous clues about this eternity of soul, about this connectedness with God, and proof that no one ever uh, can truly die alone, because as soon as you get that foot in the spiritual world, you are just surrounded with love and support uh, and angel guides. Lovely. You know, I was remembering two of my spiritual mentors that passed. One um, that headed the Brahma Kumai's Daddy Prakashmani. She had been doing yoga and meditation for over 80 years. And when she passed, I think that was in 2007, Evan and Karen, I was making tea and I could feel her presence as if she was just giving me her blessings. And this was about three days after she passed. Beautiful. And we actually have an official Daddy Prakashmani peace tree. It's an Om Shanti peace tree planted on Capitol Hill. Oh, you know, weird. in her honor when she had visited the nation's capital in 1999. Mm-hmm. And there was another of ours that we lost this year, 2020, Daddy Janky. And when she left, it felt like she just didn't go anywhere. She's not anywhere. She's just transitioned to working at a different level. And so I found myself sitting, everyone, thinking about this. Is there another realm or... Is it another state of consciousness where thoughts, thoughts really are the realm? And if you bury your thoughts in the algae, then that's the world that you see with these eyes. And that's the way you communicate with each other. But what if you were to bury your thoughts in the soul awareness, in God awareness, in the heaven awareness, in the golden age awareness? Then what will you see? That's a whole different realm. Like I'm actually getting deeply intoxicated as I share this with you because if we could just awaken to the awareness that we are souls and there's something I had learned from our founder of the BKs. um, He says, nothing remains hidden. And I thought to myself, if I've had every thought and whatever my thoughts are towards myself or to others, does that transcend somewhere? Does that reveal itself somewhere? Why is it that sometimes I can pick up the thoughts of somebody and they haven't said a word? Um, I mentioned before we came on air about my mother and her story. And I remembered one year, many, many years ago, I was in India. And I don't know why, I felt like I was going to leave my body. you know. And I kept picking up a thought of of we would say death, but you know we don't really mean death. But I kept picking up the thought of dying or I'm going to leave or something. And as I sat deeper, everyone in meditation, what had come to my awareness was there was somebody cooking for you who thinks they're going to die, and you were picking up the thought. Evan and Karen, when I got back to the U.S., I go, okay, can you kind of you know I'll cook. I didn't let that person cook for a whole month. And I actually did the cooking, and I never had the thought again. And this is how powerful our thoughts are. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can become responsible agents, individuals who can begin to value the importance of every thought, we would have a golden age by now. You know, we won't be going through all of this hate and, and division and fighting, you know. 
Well, I would say that's one of the most important lessons that comes out of this kind of work, this awakening. Uh, you know, near-death experiences are really just the tip of the spear, because in fact, uh, this uh, revolution depends uh, um, largely on, on uh, a whole new worldview shift that's happening in the scientific community about the mind-brain connection and the nature of physics itself. You know, in studying the physical world, uh, we actually find a, a plenty of evidence, and this is in the measurement paradox in quantum physics and what's called contextuality, which is just the observation that the mind and uh, free will choices of the observing scientists have a very uh, intimate relationship to what they end up measuring. Uh, ultimately, and this is something we discuss in great detail in our book, Living the Mindful Universe, there are lines of evidence from many different uh, fields, quantum physics, neuroscience, philosophy of mind, that all point to the primacy of mind in the universe, that there's this mental layer. And that's really, we talked earlier about the self-awareness of the universe. This is not something uh, that uh, is only there for certain high-level sentient beings, but it's something that definitely gets kind of focused when the brain is this transceiver and allows the, the primordial mind to trickle into our awareness and uh, uh, in our examination of the universe. But I think a lot of what you're saying is just pointing out the free will of the universe is something that aligns beautifully with human free will and complete contradistinction to the materialist model trying to pretend that it's just chemical reactions, electron fluxes, and that consciousness itself is a complete illusion. We're yeah. realizing the other way around. It's a 180 degree flip. It's fully supported by the evolving scientific models of brain, mind, and consciousness. And it returns to the individual their power to dream into reality, uh, you know, their loftiest uh, and best dreams for harmony and peace and prosperity for all beings uh, shared together in this beautiful world of ours. That's a reality that emerges from this awakening. And, I, love and I, would, I would just add that, you know, Eben often and so many scientific minded people talk about it as one mind. And so we think about mind is up here. And what I like to do is say, it's one heart. It's one heart. If we're connected through the binding force of love and consciousness is inherently made of this love, we're going to access it more readily through our heart. And so I love how when you said you, you knew what someone was saying without even having them having to say a word, you're, you're picking up what heart math would call the electromagnetic field of that other person's heart which is always broadcasting to the world around you, but not thoughts, it's broadcast feelings. And so the more we can put feelings behind our thoughts with intention, that's when we can really start to contribute more uh, directly and not just indirectly through our subconscious kind of thoughts mm -hmm. and feelings. And so, you know, people often talk about the power of positive thinking and affirmations, repeating certain things. If you're only repeating them, up here and you're not feeling the meaning of those words at the same time it won't be nearly nearly as effective so mm -hmm. one mind is one heart i agree i i, I did a, a session the other day about one is the thoughts but is there the energy the recording uh we have this i have this notion of there's a sanska there's a recording of everything that i've been through so is there and i'm going to use this word very very intentionally is there the purity in that thought? And I've often connect the energy of purity to feelings. 
because whenever there are feelings that are pure, I trust it fully, 100%. And I know it's going to bring benefit not only to my life, but to anyone in connection with me, but also to the universe, you know, to the environment. Um, I want to go back to one thing, uh, Evan, that might be an ignorant question that I'm going to ask you, but please love me after the interview anyway. (laughs) Has there been any documentation from scientists where they've actually witnessed a soul departing from the body? Well, I would say there have been uh, uh, plenty of observations of, of people witnessing something like smoke, uh, you know, uh, either coming out from the, the head region or sometimes plasma. a plasma, a, a visible kind of uh, uh, gaseous uh, appearing structure. So that is, is a quite common uh, description. Uh, of course, there, there was that old paper from almost just a century ago where they would weigh people at the time of death and found that there was an average loss of weight of 21 grams uh, you know, when, at the time of transition. I, I don't know how much uh, to put into all of that. But the reality is, yes, people have uh, witnessed this. If you talk to hospice uh, uh, nurses and physicians, uh, it's something that uh, many of them describe as having seen. But scientifically, it's true. Yeah. Well, to, to measure it is in, you know, some mass loss or something. I, I uh, Not yet, don't right? know of any studies like that. Not yet. Yet. I'd be right, so because... curious to see that emerging because... I know that even though some people are not believing in science in these times, and I don't believe it, um, I'd be really curious to hear if there's been any assessment of that, you know, so far. Um, I'm just curious about your views on rebirth. Do you believe that when the soul leaves the body, does the soul carry the memories of previous incarnations come back and play out another part. For example, we've heard of people, there's a research done at the University of Virginia, um, Dr. can't remember his name. Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker. Exactly, exactly. And he's got over 2,000 cases of documented stories of souls who can tell you what they were in a previous birth. I have experiences where I'll go somewhere and I'll feel a discomfort or I'll say hello to somebody. I can't remember the details of what we've been through, but I feel an overwhelming amount of joy when I meet you again, or I'll feel a caution when I meet you again. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things that I say, I know that I, as a soul, I am on a journey, and I believe I've taken more than one birth, but I believe that at some point in time, I'll get to a birth. I just want Om. And I just want Baba, and it's just time to go home, to rest, to come back to do my stuff. What are your thoughts? Well, it was made very clear to me on on my journey, my NDE, uh, that reincarnation, life reviews, every bit of that is absolutely real in the process of soul growth uh, through multiple incarnations. And there was really no way around that. It, It began with... Uh, an infinitely loving God, infinitely knowing God that I experienced. And then the thoughts of, well, what about, you know, children, innocent victims of war, you know, who through no fault of their own have that one incarnation and then gone. It was clear to me, no, we have multiple incarnations. I wasn't aware at that time of the scientific data that you point out, University of Virginia, who people who want to learn more, go to uvadops.org 
and you'll find a tremendous amount of information. But as you say, more than 2,500 cases, past life memories in children, where the best explanation is one of, of reincarnation. In fact, 200 of those cases, uh, the child has a birthmark that corresponds to the lethal injury of a pri uh, prior lifetime. Now, this is one thing from the scientific perspective, but then you can put all this to use when you realize that the work of people like Carl Jung, uh, Stan Groff, Michael Newton, uh, Brian Weiss, uh, and others, uh, brilliant clinical investigators who have come to realize through hypnotic regression and through spontaneous epiphanies of their patients, that past life memories are crucial to making sense of the challenges in this lifetime. And I think within a decade or two, the whole world will realize reincarnation is absolutely real. Our souls have an eternal uh, process of growing through progressive incarnations. And it's really all about manifesting the healing power of that love. That's the lesson humanity is to bring back to this world. That's what we've been challenged with the last few thousand years. It's finally going to sink in. I think the science of consciousness is going to help make this uh, mainstream knowing and experience. Mm. Uh, and it, it really just brings us back to the importance of love and healing and growth towards wholeness um, is all about acknowledging and serving as a conduit for that love. For one thing, recovering love for self, because I think so many of the world's problems are we don't even love ourselves enough. Yes, yes. Uh, but then the expansion, of course, is to to best love yourself by bringing that love through you and sharing it with our fellow beings. And every choice and action we make should be love for self, others, the quote enemy, uh, and, and love for this planet and all of its fragile uh, uh, living ecosystems. I mean, it's time to take stewardship for this planet and take responsibility as opposed to a very dangerous kind of uh, materialist inspired a system of competition in our economics, which concentrate economic wealth in the tiny percentage at the tip top and don't share the economic prosperity more widely with all human beings. Ivan, can you just imagine how long we could sit on the couch and talk together? I think we could spend several days and uh, not go. get tired of it, that's for sure. We could go I on and on, right, Karen? <laughs> We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. I mean, Karen and I, this is our life. It's our bond. Uh, yeah, this yeah. is what we absolutely an, love. It's been an inspiration, really just having the both of you on air and just sharing the truths that we've shared. Now, there's a part that I really love to do on the radio show sometimes. It's kind of called like rapid truths. And I'll just mention a particular word. And the first thought that comes to mind, I'd love for you to share what, it, what that word means to you. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay, soul. Heart. Self. God. Love. Mind. Karma. Responsibility. Fairness. <laughs> America. Hopeful. Going through growth. I love that. Um, the pandemic. Opportunity. Silver lining. Death. Transition. Liberation. Life. Opportunity. Ah, uh, life. I I was going to repeat another word. I was gonna, <laughs> I'll say love. Yes. I love it. 
love. Everything. Home. You both have been amazing. Thank you so much for a beautiful time together. It's been very heartwarming, very informative, but very real. Any last-minute thoughts you'd like to share with our incredible audience? Well, uh, if you want to connect with us more, we invite you to go to the website unitedinhopeandhealing.com, where ever since the pandemic began, because all our travel was canceled, we've been taking the opportunity to connect with people we know from our travels. And it's been so much uh, fun to connect with our colleagues, but our listeners have really been enjoying those conversations, very similar to one we just had here. I think we should invite Jenna to ours. I think so. I think that would be a beautiful. <laughs> if you're we'll have willing. to do that. If you're willing to come on. Yeah, your body We'd of knowledge. You. Your body of knowledge is, and your ability to express it is, I think, would be perfect for our very global, worldwide audience. So. And the only thing I'd like to add is, is really no soul left behind. This awakening, this revolution in, in human liberation, uh, is something. Uh, Humanity has been working on at various levels for thousands of years. Uh, there's a tremendous awakening, and it's an inflection point that will lead to a far kinder, gentler, more loving world. And it is there for each and every one of us to choose to participate in that glorious kind of coming home uh, and welcoming of unification and love back into our hearts to share with all fellow beings. Beautiful. Eben and Karen, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. I can feel the golden age is upon us. It's only a day away. Yes. <laughs> so, so we're looking forward to that. Thanks again. Thank and you lots so of much success. for having us. Virginia. Oh, it's really been a great. It was, it, this was the perfect time. And see, Eben, if we had gotten each other a year or two before, it wouldn't have been so sweet. No, this was very, <laughs> very key to take advantage of, you know, the hardships are gifts. They help us to grow, and we're about yeah. to go through some tremendous growth. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having Thank us you. on. All the very best. Thanks best again. to you too. Yeah. So everyone, I hope you've enjoyed our intimate time together with Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. And again, if you want some more information, it'll be right there in the site. Please do connect with them and find out more about their work. Um, I learned a lot, and one of the things that I love about our conversations, and I want to throw that out to all of you too, have this energy of this intention that whoever you speak with, that there's something there that you're going to learn. Just always be open to the learning process. Even though you accept who you are and you accept where you are in life, create that room, create that space in you that there's still so much to learn. And when I use the word learn, I'd like to invite you to think of there's still so much for me to experience. Karen's OM, the, 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 the sound healing and the sound vibration that she's introduced to us isn't a small thing. I mean, even when she did it, it just brought me back to the remembrance of my practice, of my love and my relationship with the divine. Eben's journey about his near-death experience, look, it reminds us we all come from love. We're going to have to return with love. So if we don't pull this love in, then we're going to see more of the chaos and craziness that we're witnessing, in not only in the USA, but all around the world. When folks like us look at the choices that people are making, 
to separate us more and to make us more angry at each other? We're like, what happened? And I think what's really happening, there's a disconnect between the soul and God. And if we can just reconnect the soul to God, we can share this planet with dignity, with grace, and with honor. So thank you all so much for joining us today. And I hope something, somehow, it touched you.